Hello and welcome to another episode of Bell Tell Rugby. My name is Neve Campbell. As always, I'm joined by our rugby correspondent, Jonathan Bradley. And unfortunately, Adam McKendry, our sports reporter, is out sick today with a bug. But he has put out a few listener questions on Twitter slash we'll call it X, X formerly known as Twitter. Um, so we're going to talk through that today. And also Glasgow and Ulster at the weekend, Johnny, another lost lead. Uh, I guess, again, deja vu as last season was. Is this cause for concern for Dan McFarland? I think it's more indicative of the type of games they've been playing. So it's interesting to see that, you know, we've had the two losses that Ulster have suffered have both come with big leads surrendered. And then in the wins, they've actually been coming back from relatively large deficits as well. You know, we saw that against Monster. We saw that against uh, the Lions, even Zebra, they were behind against as well. So... It's indicative of the fact that they're not putting in an 80-minute performance. They're not consistent across an 80-minute game. They can have these periods, as they did against Glasgow, for those first 12 minutes where they looked brilliant. You know, really had they scored the third try just whenever Will Addison gets pinged for crossing, you would have thought they were in a really, really good position. And you're sort of looking back at it in the same way that you look back at the Connacht loss, where there was the break and then the pass into touch. And you're sort of thinking, had they got that try there, then there's a real chance that they would have went on to win the game. But both in their wins and their losses, they're just not going from minute one to minute 80 at the minute. And I think part of that is understandable. There's lots of changes. We are, I mean, we're a third of the way through the year season, actually, but it still feels early season, I suppose. And... We are seeing lots of different combinations, lots of different players used. And that would normally be a reason why you would say you're not getting consistency week to week, but it's the consistency within the game that we're not seeing at the minute. And new signing, Stephen Kitchoff, he came into this game fresh from his South African Nations World Cup win. He came off the bench in the second half, during which Ulster never actually managed to lead. And their only points in this period came from two penalties, one from John Cooney, the other Nathan Doak. What are the main things, I suppose? I know there were a lot of injuries as well, but that sort of bomb squad coming off the bench didn't have the impact it was going to, or people thought it maybe would have, and um, maybe discipline lacked a bit. What did you think of, of Stephen Kitchoff, for example, coming off and what could be improved on for this week coming? I, when you put it like that, send him <laughs> back, keep the receipt. Um, <laughs> no, I think it was good to see him get a run out. We um, The scrum had actually struggled a fair bit in that first half and Kitchoff and Marty Moore coming on they, I mean they would certainly be seen as the best scrummaging props I think um, Eric O'Sullivan I think has actually been much better this season but it's mainly you know his contribution in the loose is always going to be I suppose his plus point and then Tom O'Toole coming back from injury as well. Again, like Tom O'Toole's scrummaging has come on in a big way over the last sort of 18 months, two years. But he's still primarily, his strength is what he does in the loose. So bringing those guys on will have helped in the sense that it gave you a bit more confidence about the set piece. But by the time that they did come on, the tide had really turned. You know, it was level at... Um, Half time, but Glasgow were clearly in the ascendancy, much in the same way that the Ulster Munster game played out, where you know the comeback started 
in terms of momentum long before it was seen on the scoreboard sort of thing. And then, you know, once Glasgow got the third try after halftime, it really felt like they were just going to go on and quite comfortably win the game, as I think we probably expected them to before the game. Like, because Ulster started so well and took that early lead, not dissimilar to Connets. Like, you look back to whenever you saw the teams and especially, I suppose, the comparison between the two back rows. And now I thought Ulster's back row actually did incredibly well and was probably the plus point of the performance. But when you looked at the two back rows, you were probably thinking this was going to be a really, really tough result to get because Glasgow, such a difficult place to go, Scottsdale. You know, they've got this really, really good home record since uh, since Franco Smith came in there. And it was always a big ask. And then when you saw the teams, it looked it looked bigger again. You've written as well in your column this week in the Belfast Telegraph just about this whole uh, injury issue, I guess, Ulster have at number 10. Flannery, for those that didn't actually catch the match, by the way, um, Glasgow won 33, Ulster had 20. They threw away a 14-0 lead and then I think only scored six points for the rest of the game at that point. Yeah, just the two penalties thereafter, yeah. Yeah, um, Flannery went down in the warm-up. Burns came off with a head injury. Uh, Nathan Doak did paper over the cracks, but this is, uh, I guess, the problem position you have been discussing before, Johnny. Yeah, absolutely, because I think if you were to look back over the last couple of years, like we've been crying out to see some forwards come through the academy to match the outside backs that we've seen come through the academy. And then in the last... Now, you can sort of quibble about when these players broke through because it's not quite... In the case of Dave McCann and Stuart, you know, they didn't debut in the last 18 months, but we've seen them really take a leap in the last 18 months. So you've got McCann, Tom Stewart, and then this year, you know, you've seen Ruben Crawlers come through. It was a really, really busy, industrious performance from him in Glasgow. James McNamney starting at number eight. Um, huge huge carrying ability, real potential. We've seen him play for the play for the under-20s on the way to the World Cup. Scott Wilson, who uh, made a real impact, wasn't playing against Glasgow, but made a real impact in the two weeks before that. So we are sort of starting to see the emergence of that homegrown academy-produced pack that we've been talking about for a long time to match the outside backs that came through in the early part of Dan McFarlane's tenure and in the case of, say, Jacob Stockdale a little bit before that. But when we see Billy Burns go off in the game, when we see Jake Flannery pull up in the warm-up, it really highlights the lack of depth at 10. Now, you can point to Nathan Doak's ability to play 10, but Nathan Doak is a scrum half. You can point to Mike Lowry. Admittedly, he's injured at the minute. You can point to the fact that Mike Lowry's played 10. But having spent so many years talking about what the academy wasn't producing in terms of forwards, we're now really looking at what it's not producing in terms of a number 10, which is one of, if not the most important position on the pitch. It's certainly the most important in terms of your attack. So it's been an issue for Ulster for quite a while. Like, you know, we talk about 
depth at 10. So you're really talking about having two, three guys at that position. Like you could go back to the Heineken Cup year where Ian Humphrey started the year as a starting 10 and Paddy Jackson came through that season. That was probably the last time where the depth at 10 felt about right. And now if you're looking at it, you know, obviously in Madigan's left, we've seen guys like Bill Johnson, Johnny McPhillips have all had a go to a certain extent, but have all moved on. So if we're looking at it now, it's like, who's the third choice 10? Well, the third choice 10 might be your second choice scrum half. And that's quite difficult because we'd spoken to Dan Soper about the 10 issue actually recently um, in terms of Burns and Flannery. And then I suppose alternating in the jersey essentially for the early part of the season. Uh, Dan Soper said that it was a realisation or an increased effort to get more minutes into somebody else that wasn't Billy Burns. But I suppose personally, I don't think it's an ideal situation for a player who is as important in his position as Nathan Duke is to Ulster to also be your third choice 10 because you will need a third choice 10 throughout the season. Like we've seen Nathan, you know, Nathan played or came in in a similar way against uh, La Rochelle. Admittedly, that was just they didn't have a 10 on the bench and Billy Burns went off injured in the Aviva last year and then started a game at 10. But there's no quick fix to this. You know, they've got, say, you know, James Humphreys is in the academy. So, you know, we haven't had the Ulster presser this week, but I would be surprised if we went there um, this afternoon and asked and were told, oh, well, you know, James Humphreys could come through in the same way that, you know, we've dipped into the academy to use uh, to use Scott Wilson or James McNabney. You know, I don't think that's what we're going to see. So with a reduced squad number this year, there was always going to be some luxuries that you lost. And maybe the third choice 10 that you had in Ian Madigan is that, is that luxury. Maybe this is, to use that hateful phrase, the new normal of we will have to see non-specialist players move in to those positions. But um, I think, and it's no slight on Nathan though, because um, it's a very valuable string to have to the bow as, you know, Saturday night proves. But especially given that he didn't run any plays there in training during the week. I don't think you can expect Nathan Duke, a scrum half, to come in and perform up to a URC away to Glasgow level to get the win. And, you know, as much as we can harp on about how they lost discipline, a few missed chances, set piece, whatever, 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 like they did, lo- they did seem to lose an awful lot of control in terms of their attacking shape once Billy Burns went off. Do you think, just going through the list of things that went wrong as well, um, not making excuses, but Stephen Ferris had written in Sunday Life for us this week as well about uh, one of the points he made was that it was disappointing that Ulster just got in the wrong side of the referee with penalties. Um, do you think that's fair enough? Yeah, I think there was a real, there did seem to be a real frustration from the players. Like, I would have to ask them about it again this afternoon, but like, I don't really remember a referee ever like saying you can't go for every ball at the breakdown and that's what you're doing. Like Ian Henderson seemed slightly perplexed at the message that was coming to him from from Ben Whitehouse. 
And then when he went to relay, you know, when he asked at the line out if he could take the time to speak to the players, you don't get the impression that they particularly knew what was being asked of them. They didn't, we always use that phrase, they didn't adapt to the referee, and obviously they didn't. But from what we were picking up on TV, watching on the ref, Mike, like I was finding it difficult to understand what it was that he was actually asking them to do or to change other than compete less at the breakdown, which isn't really a referee thing. I don't know. Uh hate to get bogged down in talking about referees because between players and journalists, referees make less mistakes, let's be honest. Um, in every sport, in every sport, the referee gets it, to be fair. Yeah, no, that, like that's it. And that's why I'm always loath to talk about it. But I just... From what you were picking up on the ref, Mike, I just found it interesting in the sense that I don't think I'd ever, I ever remember a referee saying that to a captain before about you can't compete at every, you know, you can't compete for every ball. But it was, I suppose, a big part in the turning of the game because Glasgow, I think, gave away six penalties in that sort of opening quarter and then really tightened up their discipline, whereas Ulster ended up giving away, it was 12 or 13 penalties in the end. So, Mm. you know you look at that sort of magic number of 10 and you want to keep it below that and I think if you look at you know where Glasgow scores came from or how Glasgow got access into the Ulster 22 going to that line out mall and things you know discipline was a real issue you know even the the Will Addison penalty for going for going off his feet like that was a big moment in the match as well so it was a huge it had a huge bearing on the match, the fact that Ulster really lost the battle of adapting to the referee, I suppose. Going over to we're going over to some listener questions here, and they're all very, very technical player oriented. Um Stephen asks, Why does Robert Balakoon not get more of the ball either on the wing or coming inside? Is it coaching, a game plan, playmaker issue, or Robert's issue, or all of these issues, all of the above? Yeah, I would say it has to be a combination of the issues, to be honest. Like um we know because we have been told by Robert and by Andy Farrell that the Irish setup wants to see Balakun come in and get involved more when the ball is not coming to him. They want to see work off the ball. That's why you know you see the success of James Lowe, you see the success of Mac Hansen. And I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, so I don't want to like um, belabor the point, but like. It's very easy to forget that, like, for the Six Nations of 2022, Mack Hansen starting that game, the first game, was viewed as a massive surprise because everybody expected Robert Balakin to be the one starting that game. But Farrell saw something that he liked in Mack Hansen. And now it's Hansen is so firmly cemented in that team, like... um as is James Lowe, who had actually fallen, I suppose, out of the out of favour um, in the early part of his international career, but um, went away, worked on what he was told to work on and improved in those areas. Like, I don't think if you're looking at what we're seeing from Robert Balakun early in this season, that you would say that you're seeing elements of him improving in the areas that Andy Farrell has told him that he needs to improve in um, because he has been very quiet. There's an awful lot, you know, you see him more chasing kicks than you do with ball in hand. And why I would say that that is a combination of issues is, you know, 
we talk about the desire to have this double-sided attack. Um, we talk about the new systems coming in. Have they fully embedded? Obviously not. But if we're talking about double-sided double-sided attack, like are Ulster doing enough to get the ball into Balakun's hands? Because we know that he is one of, if not the best finishers in Irish rugby, certainly in uh, say in Ulster rugby. But I suppose if you are to, and you can really go back a ways, you know. He had that hat trick against uh, Toulouse the season before last. Last season was a strange one for him because he was certainly, you would have said at that time, the most senior player that went on that emerging Ireland tour. It was odd, I thought at the time, and still do, I suppose. It was odd that he was selected for that because at that time you thought that he was a senior international. He played against South Africa in the Aviva last November. And then find it really hard to get a run. You know, he's had this, these multiple hamstring issues whenever it's been difficult for him to get a string of games together. And when he has had that game time this season, certainly, he's probably the player in the back line. I would say that um, you're waiting for, waiting for him to ignite, I suppose, because we know how good he is. And I think everybody who's watched Ulster over the last couple of years knows how good he is as well. What I would say is I don't have any doubt that it'll come because I think he's too I think he's too talented and he's got too much too much ability to not be impacting the games in the way that we did see um in the last while. And you know we had the column in the paper today, you know, talking about James Hume um and the interview that he gave last week and just I suppose it's a reminder to everyone that you don't know Whenever a player does lose a bit of form, you don't know what what's behind it really. Like um, there could be anything going on with them, so you don't want to, um, I suppose, ha- hammer the point home too much. But at the end of the day, look, he's an important player for Ulster that they're going to look to get going because their back three depth with, I think Jacob's been Jacob Stockdale's been in good form, but. Um, with Will Addison still working his way back after being out for so long. We've hardly seen Mike Lowry because of injuries. We know Ethan McRoy is obviously out with an injury. Like their back three depth probably isn't as strong as it has been in years gone by either. Like um Stuart Moore has really, really boosted that by playing fullback, but probably still I think would rather play centre, all things told. So as we come into European games, as we come into the Interpros, more European games, we're coming into the meat of the season here. So um, naturally, he's a player that also are going to want to get going. Ryan has asked if you think divided game time in the back row is a plan to keep players fresh or a sign that Dan McFarlane doesn't actually know what his best combination is. Oh, I think I think he knows what he thinks his best combination is. I think years, Timoney and McCann, is that is that combination? I think that's largely a product of how well McCann has played. Like, I think we were talking about this on another podcast uh, on, a, on an earlier podcast where McCann was up in preseason, and like, um, I said to him, you know, it was always Vermeulen and Timoney and one other last year. Vermeulen's gone, but years has come in. Do you think that there's a shirt up for grabs in that back row this year? And he sort of looked at me and laughed and. Uh, 
was like, well, I wouldn't say it's up for grabs. And it was sort of funny at the time, but like obviously given how well he's played since, you can sort of see where he was coming from and pointing out how stupid my question was. But like <laughs> he has come on from, I suppose, really last March to now, but even this season coming out of preseason, I think he's taken his game up a level. And I think that is the best combination. I think there's been short-term injuries to players that have kept them out of games and that will mean that we haven't really seen an awful lot of that of that combination. But the point that I would take, I suppose, there is do we know what the depth chart is? Because we've seen an awful lot of guys below that chopping and changing. So if that's the best unit, then who's your second best player in each of those positions? And I don't think we know that that because we've seen, you know, we've seen Ruben Crothers, we've seen Marcus Ray, we've seen James McNabney, we've seen Lorcan McLaughlin. And those guys, I suppose, coming in and out, would give an indication that it's a, it's a unit that's in flux. But I actually think it's been really good that we've seen that amount of players and exposed, we've seen Ulster expose that number of players to URC rugby at a time when the stakes, let's be honest, haven't been their highest. But like, again, like I've been impressed with Crothers, especially against... Uh, especially against Glasgow. I thought McNabney looked sort of like you were hoping he would look because, you know, I mentioned before, we've seen him play for the Ireland under-20s and a good Ireland under-20s team. And there's been, I suppose, plenty of optimism about how he's been tracking, but he's still, still obviously very young. But I think if we're looking at this Ulster season as a whole and the first block of this Ulster season as a whole... I think during the preseason, we said that what we wanted to see was signs of evolution, signs of taking a step forward, more so than we wanted to see results. And I think with the amount of young players that have been thrown in there and how some of them have adapted and performed in that environment, I think you have to view that as a good thing. But we're two weeks away from Europe now, so... I think fitness permitting, I would say we'll definitely see a McCann, years Timoney back row um, in those games. Stephen, another Stephen boy has asked this. I'm going to get on to the, the whole European thing you were talking about a second ago at the end, but another Stephen has asked here, have we decided we are just going to concede? Oh, this is a very defeatist attitude, Stephen, by the way, but have, have we decided we are just going to concede away losses? The league is per that if you just win all your home games, you'll be fine, but boring really. Um, yeah, well, I can see the point in the sense that the Connacht team sheet was not as strong as it could have been. And the Glasgow team sheet was actually much more impacted by injuries um, in terms of, or rather than rotation or selection. I thought, I thought they actually had a stronger team out against... Glasgow than I actually thought that they might have done originally but um, like you had to rest McCann at some point you had to rest McCluskey at some point um, like other than that I mean that was 
a first choice back line really wasn't it um, Cooney, Burns, Stockdale, Balakin, Hume Addison yeah like apart from McCluskey that's probably the first choice the first choice back line but I think if you're looking at it there's probably and maybe we're guilty of just too much recency bias or whatever but I think there is a reframing of how important these early ERC weeks are how important the ERC table is because at the end of the day Ulster finished second last year and everybody will tell you that they had a rubbish season whereas Munster finished fifth and won the league so how important is it to get these wins or is it more important to get a look at some of these guys find out what you have you know I wrote wrote a column about this a few weeks back saying that this was exactly what I thought Ulster should do and they've sort of gone on and done, not because I wrote the column obviously Dan McFarland, <laughs> you never doesn't, know. Dan McFarland doesn't care what I think but um you know, I can't then complain if they go and do that and lose games because I think in the grand scheme of things, big picture, it's better that they do this. Um, I understand the question completely because I think if you were to look at the team sheets, you would have said those the two games that they lost, they sent teams that were not as strong as they could have been and subsequently obviously ended up losing them. But I don't think we'll see it for every away game as an example um, bad example given that we probably will see it for their next <laughs> away game in the league as well because that'll be uh, down at the RDS on New Year's Day so that has uh, that has weakened team ridden all over it but uh, I don't think we'll see I don't think we'll see it all season but I think there is an appreciation that um, the hoarding of URC points early in the season or league position early in the season isn't as important as perhaps we thought it was because, you know, you only have to look back to last year where we were all talking about off the back of that loss to the Stormers in the semi-final of, oh, you, you have to get home advantage in the playoffs. That's so important. You know, if Ulster had had home advantage in that game against the Stormers, they would have won, you know, they would have won, would have had the final at home, would have went on to win the league. That's what they need to get, second place, second place, second place. And they get second place and it makes no difference whatsoever. So, um I think we'll see a lot more of it. I think we should see a lot more of it, but I don't think it'll necessarily be as cut and dry as, oh, just every away game we see these teams where um, you're expecting them to beat, get beat before the game starts. Touching on what you mentioned before, and we're probably going to finish off on this for today, um, so Ulster do have a particularly testing Champions Cup double header uh, starting the second week of December. So on Saturday, December 9th, uh, they'll go to Bath to take on them and then the following Saturday, December 16th, they will take the trip over to France to face Racing 92. But before that, they'll have um, to be preparing for their visit from Edinburgh this Saturday and that'll be their last league fixture before um, all those European games come into play. We are recording this at 1pm on Tuesday, right before Johnny heads off to the Ulster press conference. So as of yet, we don't know anything about um, what they're going to say or the team. But what are your thoughts for facing Edinburgh this week, Johnny? Yeah, I think Edinburgh haven't been as good this year. Um, I mean, they weren't as good last year either. But um, sometimes I think there's a, a tendency to almost lump the Scottish sides in together. But I think we should note that you know, Glasgow, I think, are a much better side this year than uh, Edinburgh. Like that, that's a good, a good Glasgow side. I know they had a few injuries, but that's a good Glasgow side playing at 
their home ground where they very, very rarely lose that beat Ulster last week. So coming back home, playing against weaker opposition, I think this is the kind of game where you're saying that Ulster do need to win, get a bit of momentum going into uh, Europe is always important. I've spoken on previous podcasts about how important I think the home record is uh, going to be and rebuilding that idea that um, Ravenhill is a really difficult place to come for visiting teams, especially having lost, obviously, a playoff game there. Um, I suppose lost two play- two playoff games there if you want to go back to the last two years because Toulouse obviously won um, in the last 16 as well. So I think that's another part, another element of something that's really important to establish this season, no matter how it turns out, is getting that home form back. And it's going to be important to get the win against Edinburgh, building into those European games because, you know, you're looking at it now. So Bath are fourth in England, Racing are top of the top 14. Then when you come to January, Toulouse are sixth in the top 14 and Harlequins are fifth in England. Like, no other Irish province has a run in Europe like that. Now, you can point out the fact that, obviously, Munster's draw is easier because they they won the league, so obviously they got the seeding. La Rochelle being in 11th um, is a bit of a falsehood, you know, it's a false position really in terms of what Leinster are going to face first up, you know. But it's difficult in terms of the form that the teams that are going to be playing in Europe are showing. We'll talk more about this next week, but the fact that Ulster don't get to play Cardiff, whereas every team that they're vying for a knockout place against, with the exception of obviously Cardiff, does get to play Cardiff so we'll have it by definition an easier fixture list to get to the last 16 means that Ulster's margin for error is reduced I think it'll be important this week especially in terms of the back three that whichever back three we see that we see them lay down a bit of a marker like we've talked about Balakun we've alluded to Addison but I would wonder if that's maybe the position group where there's the least amount of certainty about who would be would be starting um, against against Bath in Bath in two weeks' time. Like I think if you were to see big games from Balakun and Addison, I think that would be that would be really encouraging. McCluskey coming back in, we presume, um, and then. You would like to think as well a full a full debut for Stephen Kitchoff. So it'll be really interesting to see how he packs up after one more week with the team because you know it's easy to forget that uh, while he was playing on Saturday, his first day with the team was Monday. You know he was still being introduced to people and learning their names on Monday probably. So it'll be interesting to see how he does with with another week. Um, under the belt and maybe even uh, maybe getting the start as well. So a lot to look out for. It's always uh, it's always an exciting time of year, like building in. I know Europe's obviously lost some of its luster, but it's it's always exciting building into Europe and that game before um, traditionally being seen as you know a launching pad into uh, a really key run of the season with Europe and uh, those Christmas intercruises as well. So looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it'll be. Uh, be interesting to see how they pitch up um, again off the back of a bag of it off a defeat, but expecting to see probably a stronger team and 
I know I said this before the Lions game as well, but maybe not a one-score victory. So it would be nice for uh, for everyone, but especially for me. If uh, although it's a it's a quarter past five kickoff, so it's not quite as bad. Won't be on deadline, but if if also could seal the win before the, sometime before the final whistle, that would be nice as well. Just we inside into how how our brains work too. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you can catch up on all all that sort of news. And Johnny is heading to the Ulster Presser, and we'll obviously be doing write ups and all the rest of it afterwards on BelfastTelegraph.co.uk, or you can pick up a paper. And also, um, we'll be having match reports and analysis in Sunday Life paper as well. And we will I was say see. I will say see you back then. Um, you will hear us <laughs> back again next week on Belltale Rugby, and hopefully Adam will be back again too. Thanks very much for listening. Bye.